You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Friday to you all. Hope you all are doing great out there in Cougar Nation. Plenty to get to ahead on this episode of the Locked On Cougars podcast. We look back at day one of Camp Kalani, BYU football opens training camp in Provo. I was there on hand conducting interviews. We'll let you hear some of the sights and sounds about practice. We will also continue our look back at BYU football history, looking at the 2002 season for the Cougars. How did things go under Gary Croton's second year at the helm of BYU. Well, we'll dig into that and kind of try and figure out what exactly went down. So plenty to get to ahead on today's show. It's all brought to you today by our good friends over at the Locked On College Football Channel. Whether you have an interest in the ACC, the Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, or even the Pac-12, we have a daily podcast covering each of those Power 5 conferences. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, without further ado, here on a Friday, let's have some fun and dive on in. This is the Locked On Cougars podcast for August 6th, 2021. What's up, my friends? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Once again, welcome into the Locked On Cougars podcast. This is your daily resource for all the news and notes involving BYU that you need to know about involving BYU athletics, in particular BYU football and basketball. But, of course, we cover everything else going on in the BYU sports universe. So a huge thank you once again for your support of the podcast. It's an absolute privilege to be with you guys here as we round out a busy, busy week on the podcast. But the good news is fall camp is officially underway. Training camp for the Cougars started in Provo yesterday. Practices, meetings, all that fun jazz. We had a chance as a media uh, scrum to show up and watch about 20 minutes of practice. And obviously, BYU's players were only in helmets, so there's only so much you can glean from day one in terms of media observation. But I can tell you this much. Just being able to sit there and watch practice, to be able to be in person conducting interviews, folks... It meant the world to me. And I know this sounds like a first world problem. Trust me, you can play the world's smallest violin for me if you want to. I understand that. But it really, really was fun to be there in person speaking with coaches and players. And it sounds like, and based on what we know from BYU Sports Information, is about half of our access will be in person. The other half will be via Zoom uh, remotely. So interesting format but kind of hybrid and fits in with essentially everything else that's been going on in this COVID world as many of you probably can relate working from home or something similar but fun day honestly I had a great time watching all the quarterbacks sling passes all over the field and BYU's got a number of quarterbacks in that quarterback room and uh, they're actually wearing uh, royal blue jerseys speaking of the quarterbacks this year most of the team on offense is wearing navy blue and then the defense wears white jerseys to differentiate them but interesting to see the quarterbacks in royal blue Cade Fennigan was out there the recent transfer from Boise State he is already in camp with the Cougars so 
apparently cleared all the hurdles he needed to be able to compete, or actually not compete, but to suit up for the BYU football program, transferring in from Boise State. And also in the quarterback room, Rhett Riley, who uh, had entered the NCAA transfer portal earlier on this offseason. Well, he was out there at practice, so it means that he probably is coming back to BYU, but that quarterback room, well-stocked. Jaron Hall was the only quarterback to speak to the media yesterday that I am aware of, at least in general media sense. And I had the chance to ask him the question, is your mindset right now that you are QB1 for the BYU football program? My mindset is to go win against Arizona, whatever happens. So that's kind of my mindset right now, just focus on game one and prepare for that. Jaron Hall, ever short and to the point, uh, and it's not a bad thing. It's just the way he is. He very much handles his business. He's not an elaborate speaker, and most guys aren't, and he understands what he's all about. He's all about business and appreciate him taking the time to speak to the media, but the question was also asked of him, how did giving up baseball when you gave it up help you with regards to your football playing future, and here's what he thought of the matter. Yeah, just in my mindset, has completely been here for you know a year and a half now, and, and haven't had to go off and spend hours doing something else. So you know, I'm confident that it'll play into my ability to play faster and play smarter and, and just be more dialed in when game time comes. So Jaron Hall thinks he's more dialed in now, not having to spend those hours away from football, preparing for baseball games and going through meetings for that sport. There's some thought that eventually down the road he could go back to baseball should the need be, but I can tell you this much. Everything, the vibes, everything I hear about Jaron is he is 110% in on making sure that football is his first option, the option that could take care of him for the rest of his life. He's, if he's able to achieve the success that he thinks he can achieve and obviously make it to the NFL, and uh, the format is pretty simple, isn't it? Go out and have an absolutely crazy season. Make NFL scouts fall in love with you and become the number two overall pick. Oh, wait, is that more of the storybook thing that Zach Wilson's living right now with the New York Jets? But nonetheless, these quarterbacks, they're very, very motivated to prove what they can do and prove that they can carry on the rich legacy that Zach Wilson left during his brief time as BYU starting quarterback. One final note from Jaron Hall here. He was asked the question late in his media session, and I should have said this out at the outset of our podcast today. If you would like to hear the entirety of these media sessions, the company I work for, the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah, they house all of them. You can search out the Zone Sports Network dash Brigham Young University. It comes up with a feed of everything that BYU it's posted on our website or anything that's posted at our station. It shows up in that feed or you can go to 1280thezone.com to listen to these media sessions. Now, the final note from Jaron Hall was very interesting to me. He was asked the question, what have you worked on most about your game, considering it's been nearly 18 months since you last suited up and actually played a football game? Uh, just my mechanics. I spent a lot of time in the summer you know, with John training. I think just making everything a lot more fluid and, and, and smoother throwing motion has kind of been my focus. You know, I haven't had that time in the offseason typically in my past, so just to make it come easier and, and to take less off my body. I'm just an armchair analyst, and I watch a lot of football folks, but I do not have a refined eye when it comes to examining what throwing motions are supposed to look like, mechanics, all that stuff. I can tell you this much, though. Jaron Hall's mechanics, to me, seemed pretty much flawless, but apparently he felt like he needed to work on them, be more fluid, and obviously the hope is that that proves to be the key differentiator for him as he seeks to become BYU's starting quarterback. Well, it's 
an interesting battle. That's plain and simple. Uh, my gut feeling based on day one is that nobody really knows because Aaron Roderick, he was asked about it. He said it was good, but not great, was the quote he said about his quarterbacks after day one of fall camp. But Coach Roderick, I think, understands that this is still a long process. He's probably going to let this play out over the next two to two and a half weeks before ultimately making the decision as to who will be the starting quarterback for BYU. My money is still on it being Jaron Hall. I will go down with that ship until proven otherwise, but we'll have to wait and see. One note from Coach Roderick was very intriguing to me is when he had his media session, he was asked about what standouts to him from day one were, who the standouts were from day one, especially on BYU's offense. Here was his assessment of who really impressed on the opening day of training camp. Neil Pato's picked up right where he left off last year. He's a really good player. Tyler and Peeney look good. And Dallin Holker was looks like he never left. Did a lot of good things. All right. So if you're keeping track at home, Neil Pau, Lopini Katoa, Tyler Algier, Dallin Holker. And the Holker thing is very, very welcome news. Funny enough, right before Aaron Roderick uh, mentioned it, Dallin Holker during his media session, I got a message from one of our practice insiders here on the Locked On Cougars podcast who shot me a message and said, hey, was it practice today? One guy who was absolutely stellar and stunned me was Dallin Holker. So apparently Dallin Holker is doing some really, really good things out there on the field already. Obviously, things will change as they get into pads and all that, especially along the offensive line. But I think there is a lot of intrigue about this team. I think a lot of people are excited to see what they can do going into this upcoming fall and see what they can do to follow up the 2020 campaign that they enjoyed last year. We'll get to more audio from BYU Fall Camp Day 1. Kalani Sitake had plenty of comments. We'll get to some of those. Also need to get to another clip from Aaron Roderick just about his assessment of his offense because he is the offensive coordinator now for the BYU football program. He will explain what he makes of his units, speaking of running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, that type of stuff, offensive line. He'll talk about that momentarily. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Built Bar. You guys have heard me say it probably 15 million times at this point if you've listened to this podcast every single day, but I absolutely love Built Bars. This is no bluster, folks. I am dead serious about this. Anybody who knows me personally knows how much I enjoy these protein bars. They are a protein bar, but these are the best tasting protein bars that I have ever had. I have had literally thousands of different protein bars in my life. I I have never had ones as tasty as the ones at Built Bar. Great flavors such as coconut, cherry barcia, salted caramel, double chocolate, even uh, some limited time flavors that come out recently. Grasshopper Cookie keeps making appearances in recent memory. And a brand new flavor just dropped yesterday out for a limited time, Rocky Road. Give it a shot, folks. You can go to built.com and place your order now. Pick the flavors you would like to have shipped to you, and they'll give them to you guys. And the best part is you can save some money while you're doing that. Use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off your next order at built.com. The best part about Built Bar, folks, is you're supporting Team USA when you support Built Bar, as they are the official protein bar of U.S. track and field. So if you want to support the athletes over in Tokyo, you can do it by supporting Built Bar. Once again, that's Built.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order, and get enjoying the best tasting protein bars with Built Bar.
Continuing on now with our look back at day one of training camp for the BYU football program. And I know a number of you might be tuning in saying, well, Jake, what about the roster? What about guys who are missing from the roster, guys who didn't show up for camp? I am still working on getting information on all of them, and I'll have more of a full breakdown of what is going on with each of those guys. Hopefully by Monday's edition of the show, we'll make sure to update you guys on what the roster status is for certain guys, because I know a lot of people out there notice guys like Alden Tofa not listed on the roster, didn't show up for fall camp. Mitch Harper asked uh, Kalani Sitake about the status of guys like the Miguel twins, two recruits that signed with BYU in this past recruiting class and were expected to join the Cougars this fall. Well, let's let you hear from Kalani Sitake about the situation that guys like the Miguel brothers find themselves in, in addition to some return missionaries. Michael Daly and Kate Albright were two of the guys in particular that Mitch asks about that you'll hear. So here you go, Kalani Sitake on the status of the Miguel brothers first off and then more about return missionaries and just kind of the status of different guys with regards to getting on the field for the Cougars. Yeah, they're still working on some um, things with uh, eligibility and stuff like that, so it's still on hold right now. And then RMs, Kate Albright, Michael Daly, are they going to be gray-shirting or what's that? Kate Albright, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I think he's going to start in January. Some of them, it all depends on their missions when they get home, the timing for it. So probably gray-shirt for guys that are on the roster, but not in camp. They're all dealing with certain things that are usually have to deal with health. So they're either getting better shape and getting healthier, or a few of them have to deal with eligibility issues. So that's what it breaks down. If, if they're not here presently on the roster in practice, then they're, they're dealing with those two things. Or if they're not here in going to school, then they're going to gray shirt. Suffice it to say that off-the-field issues are what affecting a number of guys in addition to health issues. That's surprising to anybody. It shouldn't be, but any information I can glean on their status, when guys are expected back, all of that will do that. I'll track those down over the weekend, hopefully speaking with some people on the inside of the program and bring that to you guys on Monday, give you a little more intel on certain guys and what their status is going to be moving forward. Now, on to other news and notes out of the first day of training camp for the Cougars. I mentioned right before we took that break that Aaron Roderick, he talked about all of the different offensive units that he coaches because as the offensive coordinator, you've got your hand in all facets of BYU's offense. Obviously, you have assistant coaches working underneath you who are the specific position coaches, but you do answer for the entirety of the offense. Well, what has been his assessment of the depth and the overall talent base for the other units outside of quarterback? Well, here's Coach A-Rod on what he thinks. We've got a good tight end group, some good players in that group. Our receiver depth is the best it's been since I've been here. And then O-line-wise, we've got a big group of guys. There's about six guys that have played a lot that are proven players that I have a lot of faith in. And then after that, there's a lot of good guys to work with. we got to find out who those guys are, but all of them have a chance to play here someday. So we have to figure out who those, who's number seven, eight, nine in that group. But the top six are really good. I don't expect any drop-off there. Very intriguing to hear Aaron Roderick mention the fact that he really thinks the offensive line can pick up where last year's offensive line left off. You lost three starters from last year's offensive line. That's pretty high praise coming from the offensive coordinator. I know Aaron well enough to know when he's blustering, uh, just kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He doesn't do that very often, and I rarely see it. When he says something, it means something. So he really must see something in this offensive line. And it's good to hear that they think they have at least six guys who are pretty well established. 
obviously you need to have that quality depth. He did mention at one point, I don't know if it made it into the clip, that there are 18 offensive linemen in camp for BYU. That is a lot of offensive linemen, and the hope is to find six, seven, eight, maybe even nine guys, as you heard him talk about. Seems like a little more of a rotation than I would go with if I were the coach, but hey, I'm not being paid the big bucks to make this decision. But the good news is it sounds like Aaron, speaking of Coach Roderick, he really likes the tight end unit. He thinks the wide receiver room is the deepest it's been since he has been coaching at BYU. And if you go back to his era, even there's a lot of talent in those wide receiver rooms. But just in terms of just sheer overall talent, I think he might agree with you guys. There might be more talent at BYU now than there ever has been before. But that's all in the eye of the beholder, obviously. He'd probably uh, retort with, well, guess what? We didn't drop the ball at all or some such uh, retort. But nonetheless, really, really good to hear from A-Rod, his thoughts on what he took away about his team. Another uh, note from Kalani Sitake, by the way, was that he, as a head coach, obviously is similar to Aaron Roderick in that he has to look at kind of the sum total of the parts of his team, offense, defense, special teams. Well, one day in, what was Kalani Sitake's highlights? What did he take away from the initial practices for the Cougars? Well, here's what he had to say in that regard. Well, for me, it's to see what they did in the offseason and how it paid off. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of big plays made today, but uh, I needed to see, you know, certain guys, if they got bigger, you know, and uh, they got stronger. And for a lot of others, if they got healthy. And so that was nice for me, encouraging to see the amount of guys that are out there making plays and the camaraderie and the connection that our players have with each other. There you go, Kalani Sitake. And it sounds like he has been impressed with the offseason work that his team got. And I think part of it is the fact that 2020 really just screwed with a lot of different things. You guys well know, everybody, we've been going through this pandemic together. You all know how screwed up things got, especially in your own world. But think in the college athletics sense, BYU this time last year, it's crazy to think it's been a year already. They had two games, if I recall correctly. Yeah, Houston and the North Alabama game were the only two games on their schedule. But they weren't even sure when those games would ultimately be played or if they might be just canceled outright who knew if the season was going to get canceled outright they were able to piece it back together and get on the field so truly I think 2020 the offseason was all kinds of disjointed this year his players speaking of Kalani Sitake were able to really get into the weight room work and player run practices PRP practices as they call them and be able to just to kind of get the normal offseason work that they did not get in 2020 and that may have contributed contributed, excuse me, to Kalani Sitake's comment there about him just wanting to see these guys coming out uh, first day of camp and him saying he was impressed by how good they looked in terms of being in shape, their overall strength, all of that. So very, very good news. And I guess you got to tip your cap to BYU student athletes, the football players, for making sure they took care of their business off the field, held up their end of the bargain as they get ready for this season. Now, one final note from day one of camp is another player to keep an eye on on the defensive side of the football. Uh, well, Uriah Leatawa had a very interesting comment. He knows a guy like Tyler Batty is going to draw the headlines as potentially BYU's next star pass rusher. I am of the opinion that Uriah Leatawa absolutely can be in the mix for that pass rushing role. Well, there's one other name to pay attention to, and those of you who have listened to the podcast for some time probably remember me mentioning this position change, but here you go. Uriah Leatawa on one of his teammates he feels like is not getting his just due. 
Everyone knows about Batty, but I want to give a shout out to Pepe. Pepe has been working hecka hard on the offseason. He is so fast, so twitchy. He's a Navy transfer. I'm really excited to see what he has. He plays Jack primarily and opposite end, so he's like the opposite of me. I'm excited to see him. That's somebody that's going to show a lot during the fall, and I'm, I'm ready to ball out with him, so that's going to be fun. Pepe, for those of you who may not know, is Pepe Tanuvasa. As uh, Uriah mentioned, or Lopa, as most people call him, he is a transfer from Navy. Came and played linebacker for the majority of his time at BYU so far, but the coaching staff late last season noticed he had a very, very quick first step off of the edge and said, you know what? Let's move you into this hybrid role. They're calling it the Jack, as you heard Uriah also refer to it. We've talked about it in our position previews. It's a hybrid position, essentially a stand-up pass rusher who's also got the ability to drop into coverage. It's a very, very intriguing position and almost tailor-made for a guy with Pepe Tanuvasa's skill set. He's not the biggest guy in the world. I think they list him at 6'1", 240 pounds. So he is not going to be Tyler Batty at 6'6", 260, whatever Batty measures in at 6'5", regardless. He's not that tall. He's not that uh, big. But he can get after the quarterback. He's also got the ability, having played linebacker most of his life, to drop into coverage. He understands the schemes for that. So very, very intriguing and very positive to hear Uriah or Lopa Leotawa talk about Pepe Tanavasa. As I mentioned earlier on, Aaron Roderick mentioned uh, guys like Dallin Holker, uh, Lopini Katoa, Tyler Algier, and Neil Pau. We'll add Pepe Tanavasa. This is our five guys that stood out from day one, considering Uriah Leotawa really had some props for his fellow teammate. All right, so there you go. Everything I took away uh, in terms of the media sense and media sessions with BYU coaches and players. A little bit of a tease ahead to early next week. I have an exclusive one-on-one conversation with Preston Hadley that will be played. A new role for him leading BYU's defensive ends. Guys like Pepe Tanuvasa and Uriah Leotawa are playing underneath him. I had a great conversation with him. We'll get to that conversation on Monday's edition of the podcast if all goes according to plan, but really looking forward to that. Coming up next, though, we will wrap up today's show with a look back at the BYU football history books. The 2002 season, Gary Croton enters his second year at the helm of BYU football. How did things go for the Cougars? And of course, we'll hit the other news and notes as a BYU BYU fan that you'll want to know here on a Friday. We'll touch on all of that in mere moments. Today's show is brought to you in part by our good friends over at First Colony Mortgage. I think all of you understand the 1984 is a very special year in BYU football history. Well, 1984 is also special when it comes to First Colony Mortgage because that was the year that they were founded, actually, in Utah County. First Colony Mortgage is a full-service mortgage lenders. That means everything beginning to end will be taken care of by the First Colony team. So the first time you meet with somebody, you find a house you want to buy, First Colony will take your call and start working with you that very day, get you rolling, and they will carry you through the entire process until you sign the closing documents, they hand you the keys and say, congratulations, you own this home. That is what they are all about, folks. They want to make it the right way. They want to take care of you the right way is what I'm trying to say. Zach Hicken is our loan officer for the Locked On Cougars podcast over there at First Colony, and he would love to help you guys out no matter what your situation is. Whether you're looking to get into a new home, you want to capitalize on your home's equity with a cash-out refinance, or you want to take care of just rates that are getting near absolute historic lows, call Zach. He'd be happy to help you guys out. His phone number is 
or check out his website, hickenhomeloans.com. That's H-I-C-K-E-N homeloans.com. Zach Hicken, NMLS 205-2216. First Colony Mortgage, NMLS 3112. First Colony Mortgage is an equal housing lender. And of course, First Colony Mortgage is a very proud partner with us here on Locked on Cougars. All right, folks, before we go here on this Friday edition of the show, let's look back in BYU football history. The daily staple you've been used to all summer long continues our 100 seasons of BYU football. Looking back at each season in BYU football's history, today we talk about 2002, and I'm not going to lie, this season... I have almost purged it from my memory bank, so reading about it just brought back all kinds of awful memories, just how bad the season ultimately turned out. And it's not, I'm not trying to bag on the season. I'm not trying to bag on BYU. Just this season was really, really rough. And similar to what I've talked about previously, if you listen to the other years that we've talked about, think about 1996, the high of highs. 2002 through 2004, some of the lowest lows as a BYU fan, and I think many of you probably would agree with me on that. But 2002 actually opened with a lot of intrigue, I felt like, going into the season because BYU was coming off a 12-2 year. Obviously, the 2001 season ended in rather ignominious fashion with the injuries for both Brandon Doman and Luke Staley. Both of them decided to move on to the NFL after the 2001 season. So that left an open quarterback battle. A replacement at running back, obviously, and just a lot of question marks around this team. But you would think, okay, they just went 12-2. and They have a pretty good base of talent, you would imagine. And they started the season in pretty fine fashion. They had Syracuse come to BYU on August 29th, beat the Orange 42-21. to Okay, great. We're off and rolling here. The following week, they beat Hawaii 35-32. to Okay, a little bit tougher there. But then, and just this game... You go to Nevada on September 14th, 2002, and you lose 31 to 28. And I can't say this is when the wheels fell off for this team because I don't know necessarily when the wheels fell off, but it felt like this loss got BYU into a funk that they just never were able to kind of steer themselves out of completely. Maybe I'm just jaded because BYU flew into Reno the day of the game. By the way, I don't get me started. I don't have enough time on today's podcast to talk about some of the decisions that Gary Croton made as a head coach for BYU. That right there among the worst of the worst. We're going to fly to Reno the day of the game. We'll be just fine. We're not gonna, we'll, we'll be all right. It's the same time. No, it's not the same time zone. You have to fly back a time zone. You're in the Pacific time zone. You're crossing essentially two different states. Reno nearly is on the California border <sighs> this season did a number on me as you can as you can tell because following that loss at Nevada they also had three following uh, road games they went to Georgia Tech lost 28 to 19 rallied to beat Utah State 35 to 34 a pretty thrilling game in that regard with the Aggies up there in Logan and then their four game road set wrapped up at Air Force where they were absolutely crushed they could not stop the Falcons losing 52 to 9 so 
halfway through the season, BYU sitting at 3-3, three and three, and considering they were 12-0 at one point during 2001, there was a lot of angst for this team. Then another soul-crushing loss came at the hands of UNLV in Provo, losing 24-3 to the Rebels. Many BYU fans, I don't think, ever forgave Gary Croton for some of these losses, and Probably for good reason, honestly. The following week, they lost at Colorado State 37-10. Suddenly, they're 3-5, and five, and you're like, okay, this team is really, really uh, struggling right now, and you're not sure which way they're going to go. Well, then they give you some hope. They beat San Diego State 34-10, to 10, and then beat Wyoming 35-31, to 31. so you're like, okay, great. Well, they're back in the win column, so doing all right. Trust me, this season, I, reading about it just brought back all these memories about how I kind of went up and down with this team all year long. But then they finished the year in pretty disappointing fashion, getting beaten by New Mexico in Provo. So if you're counting at home, you have lost to two teams that you traditionally have absolutely dominated, both UNLV and New Mexico coming to Provo and beating you. You lost 20-16 to 16 to New Mexico and then finished the year at Utah in what would be the final game of Ron McBride's tenure as the head coach of the Utah football program, you lose 13-6. to So the Cougars on the year finish it 5-7 overall, 2-5 in the Mountain West Conference, and that 2-5 record, folks, second worst in the Mountain West Conference that year. What a fall from the high of highs it felt like in 2001. And I know that the season didn't end the way you wanted it to end, but still, 12-0, the tortillas being thrown on the field, all that fun jazz. And suddenly, you crash back to earth and just, man, what a season. 5-7 and seven overall, 2-5. and five. If you beat either UNLV or New Mexico, BYU is 6-6, six and six, and at least they're getting a bowl game in the second year of Gary Croton's tenure. You can say, hey, we're rebuilding, all that stuff. But a losing record that does not fly in Provo land as you all know and we'll talk about how they followed this up because didn't go so well in 2003 either a couple of notes for you guys about the season overall BYU did play four different quarterbacks during the year Brett Engelman and Matt Berry took the majority of the reps both of them nearly identical in yardage Engelman with 1,334 yards six touchdowns against eight interceptions Berry had 1,309 yards seven touchdowns against nine interceptions the interception ratio and touchdown ratio was completely out of whack 16 total touchdown passes against 21 interceptions just it did not work Marcus Whalen did have a pretty fine season rushing the ball though 918 yards and six touchdowns so he did an admirable job filling in for Luke Staley Paul Walkenhorst uh, had 107 total tackles on the year Aaron Francisco came up one short of 100 tackles he had 99 on the year so there were some interesting notes coming out of the season but when you go like I mentioned from 12 and 2 to 5 and 7 there are a lot of grumpy BYU fans around and well you hope that you bounce back in 2003 and we'll dig into that on a future edition of the show on Monday actually we'll talk about 2003 and 2004 and the end of Gary Croton's tenure is coming up very quickly on Tuesday one other note for you guys before we go on today's show is congratulations to former BYU great Jimmer Fredette he is joining the Denver Nuggets summer league team that will participate in the NBA summer league action down there in Las Vegas next week actually starts on Sunday if I'm not mistaken so best of luck to Jimmer with the Nuggets trying to show what he can do to NFL personnel and I am NFL what where did NFL come from NBA personnel my apologies we're talking too much football today he's going to show what he can do to NBA personnel in the hopes that maybe he gets another opportunity 
I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Jimmer Fredette's future, for however long he wants to play hoops, is internationally. Honestly, I just the NBA is not going to come calling for a guy who's now in his early 30s. I may be naive in saying that. I just see that's how it's going to shake out. But nonetheless, best of luck to Jimmer Fredette as he participates in NBA Summer League. Be good to see him out there on the court with some of these rookies and other veterans trying to make their way back into the NBA. And hopefully he can go out and light it up. It'd be nothing better than to see Jimmer just hitting shot after shot, getting his opportunity to play hoops. You all know how much fun it is when Jimmer is at the top of his game, when he's really just making buckets from all over the court. Well... Hopefully he does that down there in Las Vegas to a degree and we get a chance to see that as it plays out with the Denver Nuggets. All right, that's going to do it for this week on Locked On Cougars. A huge thank you for you guys. You guys have made this week go by so quickly. I am very, very tired. Hopefully it didn't really sound like it in my voice. I try to keep my energy up when I do this podcast, but I am really really tired. It's been a busy week covering a lot of different events, but folks, this is what I live for. I live for this time of year as fall camp gets underway and I'm looking forward to covering it. As I mentioned, Monday we'll be talking with Preston Hadley and of course media availability on Monday from BYU. More sound on Tuesday for you guys. So you know what? Stay with us every single day right here on the podcast. Hit that follow button wherever you're listening in from and also make sure to follow the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Search out Locked On Cougars. My personal Twitter feed where I post a lot of different thoughts is Jacob C. Hatch. And you know, as always, you want to reach out via email, please do so. Our email address is LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. All right, that is going to do it for this Friday edition of the show. Have a great weekend wherever you might be. And, of course, we'll reconvene next week. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast for August 6th, 2021. And we will talk to you guys on Monday.